So this, uh, if, you, if you've been here uh, regularly, you'll know this. Uh, this is, uh, we're in the middle of our Back to Basics sermon series. And in fact, uh, here at the 1045, this is the last in our Mission March Sundays. We've done Jesus January, Faith February, and now we're into Mission March. If you were here last week, you'll have heard Caroline talking about sharing our faith. And next week it gets a bit different. We've got a, a, a really fantastic speaker. If you can be here next week, I urge you to come. David Porter. He's the uh, chief of staff to the Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, he's spent his, li- his working life in the field of reconciliation around the world in, in really pretty kind of violent places, including Northern Ireland, where he's from. And he's going to be talking about reconciliation, so come along to that if you can. Uh, the week after that is Mothering Sunday. Uh, that's all a bit different. And then it's uh, our last service, and then we're into Holy Week and Easter. And so although it's only the 8th of March, today is the only other Mission March sermon that we've got time for. And uh, the theme today, what I'm going to speak about, is sharing what we have. Last week, sharing our faith. Today, sharing what we have. Those two readings that we had, we could give a whole sermon series on each of them. But uh, just a a word about about them one by one. That gospel that we we heard, John chapter 3, it includes what's probably the most famous Bible verse of them all. Certainly it's in the top three, isn't it? God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. It says God so loved the world that he gave. It doesn't mean that God owned the son and kind of handed him over like we might put a pound into a charity box. It means that he gave away who he is, that he was He was willing to forego something of his very identity, his being. He let go of the love that existed between father and son, and he gave it to the world because he loves the world. God shared everything that he has and is because he loves us. God is a giver. And in in the first reading that we heard, which is from Paul's letter to the Romans, we hear something similar but from a slightly different perspective. In effect, What Paul says in that first part of the reading is, it's all gift. Everything of value is gift. If you earn something, he says, if you do a job of work, it's not, you don't get a gift in return. You you get a wage in return because it's written in your contract. You do the job and you get some money for it. But faith cannot be earned. The really important things in life cannot be earned. A relationship with God, a life lived to the full love and mercy and forgiveness. These things can't be earned. They can only be received. God is a giver, and it's all gift. And I I think instinctively we, we know that's true, don't we? We know that the things that matter most in life cannot be earned. Our existence, the very fact that we are alive cannot be earned. It's just gift. And love, the people that we love and the people that love us, we don't go to a shop and pick our family and our friends off a shelf. They were given to us. They're a gift. And our talents, the things that you are good at, naturally good at, the things that make you, you, you didn't download them. They were just given to you as part of that utterly unique combination that makes you, you. At some point in the service today, just take a moment to think about the gifts that you have received in life. 
There's a little space on the back of your weekly sheet. You might like to write them down because gratitude is the basic discipline of faith. Take a moment for gratitude at some point during the service. God is a gift, is a giver, and it's all a gift. And there's a beautiful verse in Matthew's gospel. It comes to the point when Jesus has been out and about. He's been teaching his disciples particularly, and he's been modeling his way of life to them. And then he, he's, he's ready to send them out. They've learned enough now to, to go and try it out themselves. And uh, this is what he says. He says, as, as you go, proclaim the good news. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, and then this. You receive without payment. Give without payment. And actually, that's the gospel. That is the good news. That's what Christianity stands for. You have received without payment. Now go and give without payment. Everything you have is gift. So give it away freely. Generosity is who God is. So generous is what we are called to be. Generous with our money, with our time, with our love, and with our talents. Generous with all we've got. But being generous is really hard, isn't it? I mean, it's really hard. I don't just mean putting the pound in the charity box. I mean being really generous with the stuff we actually don't want to give away. Being generous is really hard. After all, it cost God the life of his son. It doesn't get more costly than that. Why is being generous so difficult? Well, I wonder if it's because every time we give something away, we are engaging with loss, with a kind of mini death even. When we, when we give something away, it's not ours anymore. And when we give something away that matters to us, then we are losing something precious. There is always loss involved in generosity. And the greater the generosity, the greater the loss. And most of us, most of the time, are not very good at loss. Because most of us, most of the time, are not very good at death. And every act of generosity is a kind of mini-death. But we of all people should be good at death. I mean, we know, don't we, that death is a defeated enemy. That Jesus died and rose again. And that death has been defeated. And we know more than that, that death is the doorway to life. We of all people should be generous because we of all people should understand that loss and death never has the final word. Back in the very early days of the church, in the fourth century, there was a terrible plague in the city of Caesarea, and there's, there's lots of contemporary evidence for this. And you'll know from your school history lessons, the plague is a really, really horrible illness. It's massively infectious, and you don't get better from it. And so anyone in Caesarea who had any money and, and the means got out. And they left the poor and the vulnerable in the city. But not the Christians. Not those very early 
believers. They chose to stay. They sat with the sick, they fed the hungry, they tended to the dying, and they buried the dead. And if you want to be sensible in a plague area, you do not bury the dead. It's a form of kind of craziness, isn't it? To choose not to make yourself and your family safe, but instead to risk your life for the sake of people that you probably don't even know. But maybe those earliest Christians had really taken on board Jesus' words when he said, come, pick up your cross and follow me. Because we all know what a cross was used for, don't we? And it wasn't for putting a few pennies in the charity box. And that also is at the heart of the gospel. And I'm sure that those early Christians knew it, that it is only by accepting loss, even accepting death, that we can step into life. And you know those early Christians and there's lots of evidence for this as well, those early Christians who stayed in Caesarea were credited with one of the great expansions of the faith because their radical generosity was noticed and people responded and the church grew massively at that time. Someone else who knew about loss and about death and about self-sacrifice is a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of the great theologians of the last century. He was killed by the Nazis for resisting them. He put it like this, the cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. It's not much of an invitation, is it? Come and die, but it is the gospel. Now, I don't want to pretend that any of this is in any way easy. Uh, am I ready to give up the things that are of deep value to me, my comfort, my family, my life? No, I'm, I'm not. I struggle to give 10% of my income away. I choose my own comfort over the needs of others most of the time, and there is no way that I would put my life at risk to go and hang out with someone who had the plague. But I do know that that's the call, and I do pray that I might be more ready to do those kinds of things tomorrow than I am today because we are clearly called to be generous. We are called to be free enough to give what we have, our money, our time, and our talents, to give what's needed and to give in ways that can sometimes hurt. And right now, we've got a chance to try this out. The coronavirus is causing massive anxiety around the world, and it's clearly right that we take it very, very seriously. It's already affecting the health of tens of thousands of people, and that's only going to increase in the weeks to come. And the fact is, it's very likely that it will affect us here too, that people we know, even perhaps some of us, will catch it. So what's our response? How as those called to give as freely as we have received, how should we respond? Here's what one French bishop has written to the churches in his care. Should you shut yourself up at home? Should you raid the neighborhood supermarket to stock up on reserves to prepare for a siege? No, because a Christian does not fear death. He is not unaware that he's mortal, but he knows in whom he has placed his trust. And a Christian does not belong to herself. Her life is given because she follows Jesus Christ who teaches Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, 
but whoever loses his life for my sake and that of the gospel will save it. And of course, we need to be careful and sensible. Of course, we need to protect those who are most vulnerable. Being generous does not mean taking stupid risks with ourselves or with other people. But we should be ready to step out and to give what we've got for those who are suffering, both those who are already infected and for those who are likely to be most lonely and most isolated as a result of the virus. So here are three practical suggestions as we follow God's call to be generous right now in the situation we find ourselves in. You will have your own suggestions. Number one, while we should be thinking about this very sensibly and taking all the right precautions, we will not give in to fear or panic or anxiety. We will be people of realistic hope and we will model that in our reaction to the virus. Second, we should be thinking very carefully about who might be suffering and doing what we can to provide practical and emotional help. So a visit, if that's safe, or a phone call if it's not. Because we need to remember that being connected to other people is a key to our well-being. It's not just viruses that kill people. Loneliness can do it too. And third, we should absolutely be sharing and not hoarding our loo roll. You'll have your own thoughts on how we might respond in a godly and generous way to this serious challenge. Jesus said, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. God so loved the world that he gave, because God is a giver, and it's all gift. And we have been given in order that we might give in turn.